seconds but we are back on youtube we are back on linkedin we are back on twitter you name it we're there in 10 seconds we will kick off with the show get your sandwiches let's spin off that cpd and let's learn something really interesting today here we go hello hello we're back we're back, we're, we're back with absolute uh youtube royalty emma you have the most popular video on the architecture social. How do you feel about that? It's amazing. I, I just learned about it today. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that I've gone viral within the architecture world. It's very exciting. You have. You absolutely have. And so we will get on with the agenda today. But before we do that, guys, I just want to let you know, to make this feel a little bit more like a realistic sitcom, I've got new sound. So look. Wait, that was Emma's entrance. So well done. Well done. Uh, everyone's going absolutely wild for you. There you go. You've got to bring the audience, guys. But we're almost on the way out of lockdown. We're getting there. We're getting there. And what a fantastic topic to talk about today. So we are going to talk about the fear that people feel when they're kind of like, you know, when they're in that meeting or just about to go on stage, just about to give um, and uh, maybe give a presentation or whatever. We've all been there. I have it a lot. Great. We're doing a live stream. At first, I was first doing a live stream. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so difficult. What if I say something wrong? And now I've got a bell and everything. But before that, I had the fear there. And we can have fears in many different walks of life. It can be in a design team meeting, having the courage to speak up. Every now and then, everyone has had that inner saboteur that said, oh my gosh, you can't say anything. You're going to be the... The, the one singled out. So let me just do a quick role play on how we all feel in that moment before. So, Emma, I've got my fear voice. I don't know what to do, Emma. I've got, I should really bring up this problem with the project and ask this question, but I might look stupid. I'm not sure what to do. Well, we will give the answer to that. So, fair <laughs> ado, we have got the fantastic Tara Collier, everyone. Tara, Hello. Tara from Archie English. Should all know what Archie English does at the moment. It's fantastic. Tara's baby is a fantastic business. You help people out who, especially, have um, English as their second language in architecture. And there's a lot yes. of fear that can come with that as well. So, Tara. Basically, before we jump into it and we freestyle, do you want to let us know maybe why you thought this would be a good topic today and where you've seen it kind of pop up in architecture? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, I work with people who speak English as a second language. So mm -hmm. they feel the fear a lot about speaking. The fear. In a meeting. And there's a lot, there's kind of a lot underlying as to why that happens. And so this, I, I feel like this was a really good topic because there's a lot of preparation that you can do beforehand, I think, before a meeting or there's yeah. things that you can do to overcome that fear. So that's why I thought it would be a good topic to talk about with Emma today, has given that we've talked about body language in interviews and mm. things like that. So yeah, I'd love to get further into this topic today. 
Amazing. And so for anyone that hasn't already seen Emma's runaway video, the most popular video on the Anxious Social YouTube, we did talk about <laughs> last month. We talked about body language and and there was so much in there. It's a, an absolutely amazing episode for well, I think for one hour we talked about so many tips that I truly try to practice to this day. So I learned something from that. But Emma, you're back, which is amazing. Do you want to tell everyone about what speaking of work is about? And then maybe you can um share a little bit of insight on where you've seen people or maybe personal experience or when you help people that, that fear that everyone gets about speaking up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So speaking at work, we, we help people, individuals raise their visibility and their credibility at work. And that all stems from what they're thinking and then what they do with their body and breath. And then we have a think about the content, what they're actually saying. Often we start with what we're saying and we don't think about what we're trying to do, what our purpose is or how we're going to say it. So I help mm. people do that a bit more effectively. And it's really interesting because we, when we start working, we assume that as the kind of newbie or the younger person or the you know, inexperienced person in the room, we're the only person feeling that fear. Yeah. I work with CEOs, COOs. I work with very senior strategic project managers, directors, you name it. They also feel the fear. It's not, it's, it's, it's not just because you're new. It's just because it hasn't been dealt with. You've not got the strategy. So sometimes people are really good at just kind of working through it and, and kind of fudging along. That's my and working style. it out as they go, you know, um, but they get to a certain level and it's like it doesn't work anymore. And then they realize, actually, I really do need to do something about it. So be reassured. If you do feel fearful about speaking up, you are not the only person in the room by a long, long chalk. Amazing. So, okay. So I kind of jumped in there. Hopefully I, I can survive these things. But so Emma, what I tend to find as well on that subject is that I did a podcast ages ago with, with Chris, Christopher Hartis, who's a fantastic design director. He worked at Squires and Partners, which is a really great architecture practice for anyone listening. And he always, and he gave the advice, which I loved. He was like, do not be afraid to ask stupid questions because stupid questions pop up in all meetings all the time and you won't be the first person to do it. But it's interesting that we, because that's the biggest fear I especially had when I was in an architecture practice, I would be like, oh, I really would like to answer that question, but I do not want to appear stupid. And that would stop me getting the information. And then I found that actually, when it would come to my reviews, one of the things that would pop up is like, Oh, you should really try and ask more questions. So is that um, a popular thing then, Emma, that people feel like, is it, is it the fact is because you can sometimes be nervous, but then it's also the humiliation or the fear of seeming stupid. So is that something mm. that you see happening a lot? People feeling yeah. that? Yeah, people are really concerned about looking stupid. We make this assumption that that's probably something I should know. Yeah. Now, it may be something you should know. The chances are it, it, you shouldn't know it yet because you haven't been mm. told it. It hasn't been explained, particularly yeah. when it comes to things like within each practice, there'll be terminology that people use or process that people use that you may not have been talked through or understand. Now, yeah. I always say to people, you've got to weigh up the consequences. So if I do ask this question, I might look a bit silly for about five minutes. How much, how long will the people in this room think about that for? Mm. Yeah. 10 to 30 seconds at best. They probably might yeah. not even think about you at all. But yeah. then what's the consequence if I don't ask this question? If, particularly mm. if you've been given a bit of responsibility to do something, if you don't ask that question, you might get something more significant wrong and then that starts to become a problem. Mm. One of the things I 
I really like. It will also depend on the culture of your company. Some cultures are really encouraging of, of questions, stupid or otherwise. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't think there is a stupid question ever. I think there's just mm. questions. Um, but some companies encourage questions and other companies don't. There's um, a story from da David Marquette. He's a, a military guy um, in his brilliant book called um, Leadership, Language of Leadership. And one of the things they do in the Navy is they get the youngest person, the most inexperienced in the room, to ask questions immediately following a presentation or a new idea because they have a fresh perspective. Their, their whole philosophy is you're looking at this with new eyes. What do you see that we don't? So they're kind of putting on the inexperienced person this really lovely idea of actually you've got real value in this room. Expertise is not the only thing that's valuable, which I think yeah. is a really lovely idea. But that, you know, that's a cultural thing. It depends on your organization. That's a good point. I, I remember because I used to do a lot of recruitment with several architectural practices. And so Thomas Heatherwick is quite a famous example. And I remember speaking to the HR manager I was hiring and, um, and you know, Thomas will ask, um, and has opened the forum up to everyone to talk. And as you say, the part one, right the way to the project leads, can ask questions, you know, the graduate, and it's encouraged um, to ask poignant questions. But then as well as, so I, I personally agree with that. So the one I see, that, so what immediately comes to mind is that, oh, who's that? Tara, what you've got? Have you got the, have you got, oh, Emma, have you got the washing machine on there? What's happening? No, no, I've got work happening in my garage. So I'll turn oh, myself off. Oh, yeah, Tara's got the work on. <laughs> right, Tara, let's mute you for a minute. Let's mute you for a minute while the builders crack on. So the what the fear that I see a lot is the one that I think where fear really gets in the way is that when students or even professionals are given a presentation and that they worry that they're going to miss something or they might come across unprofessional or they might seems stupid is that I see this this over-reliance on the script. And I mm -hmm. think it's really important to prepare. It's really important maybe to have a few points. But what I can think is like this fear of conversing and having this free organic conversation overrides that. And then people kind of rely on this script. And one of the things that I think this is a massive negative to this point of like fear taking over is that then when people rely on the script they're not engaging with the audience and they're kind yeah. of reading from a piece of paper and so that in in that shape or form i think like um that fear of being oh i'm not a good presenter so i'll bring the notes yeah. really kind of causes this conversation to be unengaged and not really useful I mean, I'll throw the question. Sorry, Tara, I do want to involve you. I'm conscious of your builders, but I'll throw one to, I'll throw one to uh, to Emma first about like, um, do you see people like because of the, a lot of people read the scripts because they're scared of presenting? Then Emma. Yeah, definitely. In fact, I had one client do that exactly that uh, on a, a program. So she's a strategic director of a really big um, investor relations company. And she's a very senior position. She's super experienced, really well qualified. Yeah. And yet she wouldn't for about the first three weeks let go of her script. And so we got this very kind of wooden presentation every time and it was really stiff. Yeah. And it was very hard to engage with her um, because she was so fearful of getting anything wrong. And it's yeah. like, well, it kind of doesn't matter whether you get things right or wrong now because we, we've already kind of withdrawn from you. So it's far better. Don't worry about perfection. Perfection is not something any of us will ever achieve. And there's no point yeah. trying, to, trying to do that. What we really need to 
be concerned about, particularly if you're pitching a concept to a client or to the rest of the team, is expressivity, is connecting to the rest of the team and showing your passion, your enthusiasm, your excitement about, about this particular project and why you think it's going to work or this particular idea. Yeah. So much more important to be enthusiastic and passionate than it is to be perfect. You know, yeah. we can always go back and look at the numbers. We can always go back and check details later on. But you've got to sell yourself and the idea, and that will only come through enthusiasm and passion first. Then you can worry about the, the sort of logistics, the data, the, the stuff that's going to back it up later on. Yeah. Does that make sense? Power. Do you want to, do you want to before, the, before the drills come back? <laughs> yeah, quick, we better say something. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that, the, the script and trying to make it too sort of, it sounds quite robotic. So I work with a lot of people who feel the need to have the script because they're afraid of making mistakes. And mm-hmm. I have lost count the amount of people who, when they send me their presentations to analyze, at the very beginning of the presentation, they will say, I apologize for my English. Please, please be, um, be nice to me. I might make mistakes. And immediately that takes away the authority from you as a a speaker. And Mm -hmm. instead of saying, you know, thank you for the opportunity, it just really takes it away from what you're about to say. And people probably don't even listen. They're probably listening out for the time when you might make mistakes. So I would say that it's something that I see quite often. It's that, that need to feel like you have the script and it's kind of trying to figure out how do you, what do you do so that you know exactly what you need to say, but it's not so robotic and scripted so you can still be yourself and be authentic mm. and, and, and show, uh, share a part of yourself that is important and get out of the meeting what you need to get out of or get out of the presentation what, what you need to get out of it. Because mm. mm. your, your oh, yeah. audience is going to buy into you before they buy into the project or the idea yeah. or the concept or whatever it is you're talking about. Even if you're just giving a report, they, they want to connect with you first and then the, the content second. Absolutely. And kind of going back like even further from what, what we're saying as well is culture comes into it a lot, not just work culture, but different cultures. So mm. different cultures will have different tendencies in terms of how they might operate within a meeting. So, for example, some people might give the facts and the figures and the statistics to begin with and then wait to be invited to to put something into the meeting or to input into the meeting. And so, therefore, they, they never say what they want to say because they're waiting for the invitation. Mm. Or it could be that they're, they're just – it's impolite in, in their culture to interrupt somebody in the middle of a meeting. So – that's kind of why I, I talk a lot about that preparation beforehand is understanding what is the culture you're going into, what is the work culture, but what is the tendency of the country maybe that you're working in. But, you know, mm. now we, we work in very global businesses at the moment now, so it's kind of about understanding how all the different people operate within those meetings. So, yeah, it can, it can also be about your own personal preparation, but it's about sort of understanding what am I going into? What am I getting myself into to begin with? Mm. Well said, Tara. I think that's great. So let's touch, there's so many things we touched upon there. Probably just a note to the audience here, because we're alive, you can ask us a question at any point. So we do get a few strange messages from Twitch. <laughs> but this is also on LinkedIn, and this is on YouTube and what have you. So if you want to at any point ask us specific questions, Okay, or Kino, 
there might be an example you, you might be you might be currently interviewing right now or something like that and you want to talk about tips then please ask us a question as we go and we can bring on the question to the stage so i actually have a, a personal story about this so way back in my in my yonder youth when i was a part two at epr architects they were really encouraging of me but for i know i'm the guy with the bells and the whistles and all this stuff and i you know johnny confidence or whatever you want to call it you know my dad would say something different but i can't say that live uh, <laughs> but basically as a part two i used to get along with everyone but i wasn't very confident in my ability um uh, to do architecture i was i was good at the front end stuff but i wasn't very good at technical detailing and it and it came a bit slower to me how to learn all that stuff so i used to be have a little insecurity about that and one day epr sent me off they were like so the md who i got along with really well right now he was like there was like a little um there was a little what you call it like a little marketing um like i want to say shop but like the marketing booth on the site where they sell the flats yeah and so they give me the project to do that and i was like oh my gosh i can't do a marketing booth this is insane and so it was fairly straightforward but i was very nervous about it and i went to a design team meeting and there was the client and there was an engineer and so so epr said they look you can do this we really believe in you and look and no one else can be there you've got to go and represent it but you really can do it you just have to believe in yourself and so i kind of heard that and it went in one year out the other and i went to this meeting and i was freaking out right i was like i am not able to offer any opinion on this marketing booth no way can i do it and all this stuff and so i went into the meeting and i totally let the fear overcome me and they were asking stuff and and asking for decisions and 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 they were like if any point you say this stuff um you know we're going to talk through the plans we're going to make decisions if you've got any problems with it just jump in and like veto it or question it and i froze i totally froze and i always remember it to this day because i'm sure the guys would have been nice to me and actually bizarrely last year in, in mcdonald company we went to a site visit and i saw the same guy again he's like i remember your face how are you and so he didn't go like oh you're that part two who like froze in the interview far from it i was probably just quiet but in my head it was like that big moment where i didn't say anything and ever since i don't i try not to let that happen and that's one of the things that i do like about the podcast where you know tara's got a builder and my internet can drop off and you know it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit rough around the edge because i really like realness and i really like to try and um encourage people especially on the architecture social or anything like that to to talk with each other to engage with each other and to challenge these questions and it's a completely open space to do that but that's how i felt at a time so tara if you saw me in the marketing booth i was really shy um that's kind of like my background on it and so i guess what uh, one of the, what i wanted to say here if there's anything that anyone can take away from this is that while i'm more confident about doing these conversations online or live streaming i wasn't always like that i'm like everyone else i've had insecurities i always you know and i'm always making mistakes and i'm always learning from it but the one thing that i would like to add and i know tara you're going to offer a few insights and emma as well is that my thing is that if anyone kind of has the fear of speaking is first thing is to practice it 
and uh, you can do that potentially in the architecture social okay you can do that in other places i think you've got that club which i used to laugh at like toastmasters what the heck is that what a strange name but this is a place where people talk about public speaking and they talk in turns and it's a really good way to calm down so well you can see how i kind of fit in toastmasters or not but you need to they teach you to relax and talk about points and give speeches and and you learn a lot you learn a lot from it you know we touched upon it last time man, a bit with the arms and the r's and body language but they go through that and as well as that i find that getting involved in any charities really helps so i'm involved with the arctic's benevolent society i really enjoy talking about them and having something you're passionate about talking about so whether it's a hobby or something that's really going to build up your confidence so i've seen many people almost one of the things you can do with your hobbies so if you like uh, before this, I was talking to Tara about um, websites and SEO and, and, you know, Tara's going, oh, that's great, Steve. But, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy talking. To, well, no, we, we have a nice conversation. But going out of my way and talking about topics I'm not familiar with, like SEO and, and talking through those and talking with other people and sharing information really helps build up my confidence. And I think that that's one way that people can get over the fear of doing these things is that maybe you don't need to practice straight away on, you know, if, you, if you're building up to public speaking in your workplace, try and do other activities and topics that, where you can practice that and then bring that skill into the workplace. So it could be building up a YouTube channel or going out of your comfort zone and being a guest on Tara's new podcast. There you go. But Thanks, get, yeah, well, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, a podcast? What am I going to say? I'm going to look terrible. And then you do it and you enjoy it and suddenly you feel more confident. I mean, I, I, and the last thing, because I'm hogging the stage, sorry, guys, uh, is that when I first did these shows on the social, there was two or three people registered, okay? It was a year ago, and I was with Will. You know Will, um, Tara, and I was bricking it to three people. I was nervous and all this stuff. And now we go live on all these platforms, and it will be recorded, and it will be them. It didn't happen overnight. I built up to it, and if you look at my old videos, you will see that over time, my the way I communicate changes because I have less fear because the more I do it, the more I can experiment with it. And if things go wrong, they go wrong, but you learn. So that's kind of a few thoughts there. So I went from the marketing booth to the architecture social, giving classes to two people, but I'm going to throw it around first. Tara, have you had any like times in the past where you're like, Oh gosh, I wish I, I and I did things differently now with your awesome ex the experience you have now. Yeah, well, I I was just thinking like I've been listening to you talk and I'm thinking what am I going to say to all of that? That's a lot to unpack. But I think just thinking about what you're talking about with the podcast, like even I was talking about this with Emma, is when I started doing the podcast, I felt really stressed about it and what am I doing? People are going to think, what am I talking about? And I think we tend to have an idea in our head about how we come across compared to what and how people perceive us. And you're right, it's about practicing. You know, you, you don't automatically become the best and most amazing speaker. It takes practice and it really takes yeah. practice and redefining the relationship that you have with with putting yourself out there and trying to see each experience as a learning opportunity and and trying to find some way 
where you can look at the things that you're doing as a as a positive. So actually, it's funny that you mentioned Toastmasters because when I first started working as a landscape architect, I did Toastmasters and it was such a great experience for me because yeah. in the beginning, I hated getting feedback from people. I hated it because they were telling me, you're saying um this many times or you should have said this and you should have <laughs> done that. But the more, the more I sort of was exposed to it, the more I was doing it, the more comfortable I became and the more I was willing to put myself out there and to, you know, do do what I needed to do and just you, you kind of take the, the negative feedback on the chin. But yeah. also I think it's important that you you also look at what you do well because you can focus too much on the negative sometimes. I think Emma and I have had this conversation. You can focus so much on the negatives and not really move yourself forward. So, yeah, I think that's been the most important thing for me. So, and, you know, I'm still learning too, like you. You, you learn even even when i'm having my conversations with my with my clients i say you know i didn't just come out being able to do this it took me time and a lot of the people that i work with will tend to be thinking to themselves i'm not a native speaker i can't be as good as the native speakers but the thing is is that you're different anyway so you you're never going to be a native speaker but you have some other aspects of you and your personality that are better and different and unique so i think it's about reframing kind of the way that you look at yourself and how you contribute yeah mm. i love mm. that the the word reframing when i was studying the mighty networks that was um it's always about reframing the community. And I think it's a great way of looking at it because it's always room for development. And I remember many years ago, I had a negative colleague um, who shall not be named. And he was like, Steve, you never finish stuff. You're always building on it. And I'm like, things never finish. It's all about personal development. Sometimes you, you do really well. You learn some stuff. Some days you regress. Some days you change things. Some days you make mistakes. But to me, it's an ongoing process. And that's why like architecture practice it's like when you see them you see the many infamous and famous architects and they talk about they're always learning we're always learning i'm always learning about presenting and um as well as that on business and all this stuff and i think that is this this kind of touches into it slightly it's like this fear because you feel like you think you need to be the polished article whereas in my opinion like um I, this morning i was learning about again more seo stuff you know i was kind of i was kind of i was learning um and a part of it is that in for in forums and other facebook groups i ask stupid questions with a smile like oh what's this and that and i'm sure there's so many people that are like oh you know but if you do it nicely people will generally answer so emma bringing it so back from the I'll go back to, I'm sure, though, you'll have a more structured approach being as, as you are speaking at work than the Stephen Drew Architecture Social. So do you want to kind of weigh in your thoughts on what me and Tara have said? It'd be great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so number one, speaking is an act of doing, right? Mm -hmm. You are never going to get better at it unless you do it. You could read 100 books on it. You can watch a thousand videos and you'll be a little bit better because you understand a bit more. But it's actually the process of doing it. It is a practice, just like architectures. That's called architectural practices because they practice architecture. They do it and get better and better at it and better and better providing clients with what, exactly what they need. It's exactly the same with speaking. It's a practice. 
So you're going to do it today and you're going to be all right. You're going to do it tomorrow and it'll be a bit better. You might have a day after that where it's a bit rubbish, but you're like, oh, what did I do wrong there? Okay. And you keep, you, you know, it's always improving gradually, but it, it, you have to do it. And I would take it down even lower. I would do even more low-risk scenarios than you were talking about, just in, your, in the local coffee shop. Next time you yeah. go and you order your coffee, just do it in a bit more of a kind of more confident way. You're, like, you're stepping yeah. a little bit outside of who you are, and I'm going to be, you know, Emma times two today. So I'm going to ask for my coffee in a different way today, and I'm going to say, how are you? And I'm going to engage in conversation, and I'm going to keep myself in that just slightly more confident physical and vocal space and perhaps I might normally like who cares the barista isn't going to care whether you're you know you times two or you times ten or or not at all it's a very low risk scenario to do that in so I would do it in tiny spaces like that then Mm. start doing it with your team you know with people that you know and you're feeling a bit more confident with then start to expand so it's you're feeling safe as you do it you don't need to kind of throw yourself off the ledge and you know be really fearful because that's not going to help but I was thinking about when you were talking about that moment of freezing because we've all had that we've all frozen in various different situations I could list off a gazillion spaces where I've done that but what the 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 thing that's common to all of those is almost certainly you've stopped breathing because what's happening is our mammalian brain, that old bit of your brain, is going, danger, 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 run away, run away, run away. And so you're, you're stop, you've stopped breathing, so you can listen to hear where the danger's coming from. So you can run away from the danger, not towards it. So you've stopped breathing. And that means you've got no oxygen in your system, and you look frightened and rigid to anybody who's looking at you. So we don't want that situation to happen. So you need to start breathing again. And there's a couple of things you can do. Number one is breathe out. So lots of people tell you to breathe in when you're scared, when you're frozen. Bad idea. You're already tense. You're going to make yourself more tense. Just quietly breathe out. Doesn't have to do it yet. Definitely don't do a big sigh if you're sat in a meeting. Don't do a... Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Oh, gosh. Not gonna, yeah, that's not going to go down lie. very well. Don't breathe on your microphone. <laughs> no, no mm. just, a, just a gentle breathe out. You can do it subtly, um, and, but it will just release the tension that you've got in your mind and your body. The other thing, and this is a Qigong thing, and I learned this, talking of learning, I learned this a couple of weeks ago, and it's amazing. And you can do it if you're on a Zoom, nobody would see you. You can do it sitting at a desk, nobody would see you. All you do is you run your thumb. Hang on, I'll turn my hand around so you can see. You run your thumb up the outside of your index finger and then end with your thumb on your the pad of your pad of your thumb on your nail and yeah and the process of it it drops your breathing yeah it drops your breathing back down so so when we're anxious our breathing and our energy comes up in the body and so we have all this sort of (gasps) up here and we just want to get it to go back down the other way and for some reason i don't understand that the physiology of it but running your finger down your thumb down your finger and ending up with it like that, the breathing drops back down into your belly. Wow. And then you feel calmer. I need to do that. It's so much more about the body language, isn't it, really? Or it's the body. It's connecting with the body rather than the mind. Yeah. (laughs) Because we do. We think speaking happens here. It's like, I've got this idea. I need to say it. And it's it's all here. And actually, it isn't. It's it's all from your body. Because if you're not breathing, if your body's tense, you can't breathe. If you can't breathe, you're going to have a weak, underpowered, or shaky voice. 
So we have to get the, the body relaxed, the breathing relaxed, and then you sound relaxed. And then everyone's like, oh, Tara's got this. Yeah, she's really excited today. <laughs> she's into it. <laughs> yeah, because you sound calm and confident. That's, that's what your, your listeners are looking out for. Amazing. Well, I think that's some really good points there. We've got a few things that have popped in as well while we've been talking, guys. So Brian Murphy says that some of his students freeze and crit, some tutors do not help. He tries to get them comfortable and ask them questions to get stuff out of them. Very good, Brian. Conversation helps. Yeah, Um, ask questions. Yeah, Uh, and so he keeps saying the students who use university as a platform to practice among your peers. I can see that as well. And you're right, Brian, that's the attitude that we should have as well. I can also understand sometimes from a student's perspective, like the old school architecture professions have moved away from it now. But I I think, especially when I was there, like, oh gosh, nearly 15 years ago now. But it was like some tutors would be like, you know, I am this, and if you, who dare, how dare you present to me? And I think like that old, like, um, that old, the university's gone. It's much more collaborative. And, and, and so it should be a lot more inclusive. And so it's a better time than ever to be at university and to kind of get involved in it. Because I do think you, you've gone to the days where you can't, you know, you can't say something stupid anymore. So right, Brian, what else are you saying? Speaking of relying on paper notes, got mother to stop um, giving a presentation at a Reba conference. Dun, dun, dun. Need to know your stuff in advance and use slides to prompt your words. So yeah. slides is an interesting one, Brian. I think that they're kind of good as a prompt, but you should never read off a slide because that I think that the moment you read off slides, you are it's like me going, okay, next we are going to talk about this. And then also people read off the slides then and they're not engaged with you. That's another tip is that like in presentations, never give people pamphlets because they'll they'll just read the pamphlet and they won't, they won't listen to what you've got to say. If you're going to give a pamphlet, give it to the end. And I think that, again, um, the conversation really helps. But Brian, some good tips there as well. Yeah, um, I think it's really important to remember that the, the presentation is a visual aid. Yeah. It, it's not the presentation you are. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you, you want to keep the focus on you yeah. and then you're using that visual aid as, as you know, just an in to help explain what you're talking about. I love I love Apple. They have um, they're allowed one word, one image on a slide, that's it. Mm. And yeah. get, depending on how many minutes the speaker is speaking for, they're given a, a number of slides that they're allowed to have within that to encourage people to be the presentation. Now obviously I understand in architecture you're you're generally gonna have to show technical information. But there is definitely a space for explaining that technical information first and then mm. demonstrating it with your slide or demonstrate it with your slide and then bring it back to you and explain it. But not yeah. the, not both at the same time. And definitely, as you say, don't read because it's patronizing. Your, your audience can read. You don't yeah. need to do it for them. Mm. Yeah, That's where uh, Petra Kutcher works really well as well, where you have mm. 20 seconds per slide. You've only got the images. And this is something where you can talk to the images. So if you're really stuck, you just explain what you can see in the picture, for example. So, yeah, it's it's a good way to kind of keep you concise as well and make you, as you're saying, you are the presentation. People are listening to what you have to say and what you look mm. like. Petra Kuchas are amazing. I agree. I think there are. Uh, I think that's another uh, takeaway from the, from this. If you want to practice, do a Petra Kucha. and mm. and that's a really good for interview formats as well. 
because yeah. there's a definite art to a present there's definitely arts to doing presentations in different forms and mediums but i kind of agree that do you really need more than one or two images per slide and talking about it probably not so that but that's again all of this is our opinions and there will be different case examples for each so i had something pop up from Chirpy Nish on Twitch. So I normally ignore Twitch um, things because they will be the ones that ask me some dodgy questions. Uh, so Chirpy Nish says, how do you overcome the fear of judgment from other people? I personally see I'm more scared of people judging me for what I'm saying when I want to speak up, especially being a foreigner. I feel like I want to ask questions in a lecture but I don't do it out of fear of judgment. So Tara, um, especially if anyone with, with English as their second language, I'm sure that you will probably have got a few thoughts to weigh in on this too. Should be niche. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, great name. I, this is a question that comes up a lot for me because of that fear of judgment. And I would say, firstly, what I try to get people that I work with to think about is what do you do well what, it, mm. what do you believe in? What are your thoughts and, and, and what are your values? And to connect with what, what that is first and to understand what you really believe. And also, you know, what people, how people judge you is actually none of your business. So they may judge you no matter what you say and you, you don't have control over that. And so it's more about concentrating on what you can do rather than focusing on what other people are going to say. So maybe you might make mistakes and and that's okay but as long as you can connect with what you need to say and what you what you want to get out of an interaction i think that's the most important thing so if they judge you that's their problem and then they're probably not very nice people if they're judging you for having a go and i would say have a go because if you go into a meeting or you're going to going into a lecture what are the consequences if you don't ask something you know, yeah. if, even if you don't say it correctly, it's about the message, getting the message across and getting what you need out of the, out of the interaction. If it's not 100% perfect, like as, we, as Emma was saying earlier, it's not about being perfect. It's about getting what you need from the interaction. It's about making sure the message is, is it comes across. And I would also say that that relationship that you have with mistakes is something to, to think about a little bit as well because mistakes are not meant to be there to throw you out the window. They're, they're things that are there to help you with your learning. So it's it's kind of reframing as I was, as we were talking before about that word reframing. It's reframing, reframing that relationship that you have with mistakes and understanding that these are good things for you. They're not, they're not going to stop you from being able to speak up. So I yeah. would say it's more about making sure you know what when you go into a lecture, what do you really want to ask? What is important for you to get out of that lecture? Yeah. I think there's a, there's a video going around on um, LinkedIn at the moment. Ronaldo, he's, he, he does a speech and there's a Japanese boy who tries to speak Portuguese and he doesn't do it very well. And Ronaldo gets up and he says, hey, he's actually having a go and you're yeah. making fun of him for having a go. So I think it's important to, to feel like you are worthy of, of asking a question. So mm. that's what I would say. I think it's important that you realize that it doesn't matter how you say it as long as you get the message across. Mm. 
Well said, Tara. Um, Emma, do you have any kind of thoughts to weigh into our chippy niche before we move yeah. on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say that, well, you need to get out of the lecture what you need. So it's really important that you're vocalizing whatever it is you need. So otherwise you're going to miss a piece of information that you might need. If it helps, flip it around. So rather than thinking about what you need, because some of us find it difficult to focus on our own needs and ask for our own needs to be met, flip it around and say, I'd like to be able to help the lecturer do their job. And there may be other students in this class who want to ask the same question, but aren't feeling brave enough to ask. So I'm going to be the advocate. I'm going to be the one who's going to speak up for the rest of the people in this room and ask that question. Because if I don't mm. understand it, then the likelihood there is there's several other people in this room that don't understand it. And I think finally, the, the, the final bit I would say about this is the chances are most of the other people in the room, I'm really sorry, but they're probably not thinking about you. They're probably thinking about their lunch. They're probably thinking about the thing that they're organizing this afternoon or the fact that they haven't done the uh, homework for the next lecture or all a gazillion other things. The likelihood that they're thinking about you getting your grammar or your intonation exactly right is probably quite low, I would say. Yeah. So speak up, ask that question, do a favor to the lecturer and the rest of the people in the room. Mm -hmm. Well said. There you go, chirping. You've had a, a foot and all three fronts there. I think it's really interesting. And I'll tell you what, because I, what I've learned about podcasts, and let's get your thoughts on this, Tara, as well. So I do a podcast. And what I find as well, if I'm not as confident answering a question, asking a question, or I'm clear where I'm going, I, if I listen back to some of the questions that I did, especially when early in my podcast, they're a little bit more waffly. And I tend to find is that uh, one advice that I give to anyone when, when asking questions, the easiest questions to for people to receive are kind of open questions like, why is this? What is this? Where are we going? You know, what what, what is the message? Why, why have you made this decision? Because they're kind of open-ended. And I think that sometimes I hear questions, and as well on Clubhouse, this happens, uh, happens a lot, where I can hear a question. Oh, chirping. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for being here, Chipping. Really appreciate that. But yeah, sometimes I hear someone asking a question. And if it goes like longer than 30 seconds, I forget what the question was half the time. And then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't even know what the question was. And maybe that's my short attention span or the person that hasn't answered a clear question. So my number one tip is um, it's less about a stupid question. I think it's more about a clear question. And I think a clear question, which is, is usually received quite well, the difficulty is the bit where it's, it's like this long convoluted question. And in the end, the person's like, I don't even know how to answer that. Emma, do you have any thoughts on what a, a good question, good basis of good questions are? Yeah, as you were saying, just be, keep it short, keep it really clear. What, what's the bit of information that you're missing? So often when, when speakers speak, they ask a question partly to show, to demonstrate their knowledge. Um, so if you have got someone doing that long-winded kind of statement-type question, I, I tend to listen in and I pick up on a couple of bits and I'll say back to them, okay, so that was, there's, there's an awful lot in there that uh, we, we don't have time to unpack. So I'm going to answer this bit and I'm going to pick one of the things that they mentioned and I'm going to just answer whatever I want to talk about in that sense and at the end of that you can say did that answer your question and if it didn't 
uh, then we, they said, that's fine, we can have a sidebar later because you don't want it to steamroll the rest of the conversation for everybody else. So you're acknowledging that they've spoken, you're bridging it back to where you want it to be, and then you're controlling the conversation to move forward. But yeah, questions can be tricky. But yeah, so if you're asking a question, be clear, be, be really succinct. Yeah, because on Clubhouse, I've had that pop up with someone, and I, I really like people coming to the stage, and it's really important to do that. But yeah, if it goes on too long, then it can get really difficult. And then I have sometimes have the fear of making them feel stupid. Like, what was Because you're not like, oh, what it was. You're, I'm just thinking like, oh, God, where, where do I start answering them? So, yeah, I, I think that's a big thing. Of If you're worried about answering, asking a question, don't be. But just maybe make it clear and size. And open-ended. Open-ended yeah. questions are so useful because I often see someone ask a question with an answer and I'm like, ah. Was there a question in there? Whereas open end is much more. I think the term, and Emma, you can correct me or, or confirm that I, when I started training in recruitment, they would try and get us to um, ask what they called as diagnostic questions. What kind of person are you looking for? Who is the right kind of fit? Um, what type of person has been successful before? When are you looking? What universities do people come from? And why? Because then you're kind of writing down all this stuff. And normally I find in design team meetings and open-ended questions can be really useful. And I think that open-ended questions are really received well on a presentation. And the ones that I'll still answer, but you know, when you're a, a presentation presenting and someone's like, okay, and then they go into the story mode, then me as a presenter, I'm like, oh gosh, I've got to really, really, really pay attention. So I think that high value, less energy questions are open dietic. Is that the question, quite the correct term for them then, Emma? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, diagnostic. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well remembered. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yes, yes, SEO and diagnostic questions. <laughs> You've got it all going on. Too much, too much. Need to bring it in. Need to focus. <laughs> right, so what, what we covered today so far, we covered that the fear of giving presentations is common. A lot of people have it. I personally think that um, it's good to practice in different ways, whether a hobby or Toastmasters, as Tara said. And I think that, uh, yeah, we're giving a presentation, try to keep it as interactive and as engaged as possible, because I think that that is much better than, um, you know, a scripted conversation. And I think that will help with the fear, because if you're speaking to people and you're trying to present, you look at people in the eyes and all this stuff, and you just kind of go into it, it's going to be a lot easier. Those are my takeaways. We're probably, because we're at like the 45 minute mark and there's been a lot here. What I think would be cool Tara, um, maybe if we can get like your kind of final thought send offs or anything we want, and then we can finish with the fabulous Emma. Um, Emma, you need to launch your own YouTube channel at this rate. Well, you know, I <laughs> yeah, I think there's an opening for you. But, but, we'll but Tara, yeah, but with Tara, what's your takeaway then? Gosh, there's so much to take away. I like what you were talking about with open-ended questions. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I try and get a lot of my clients to do is firstly to try and speak up early in a meeting because you can be sitting in a meeting and be thinking the whole time, I want to say something, I want to say something, and then you just, you're not listening, you're not interacting, you're not engaging. So that's the first thing. And then the open-ended questions. So, for example, something like, could you explain more about this when you were talking about this, could you explain more? That's a really yeah. simple question to ask because you it shows you're listening, 
it shows that you you want to engage more in the conversation. Um, I actually had a question for Emma about interruptions. Mm. So thinking about this, I've been thinking about this since our last live actually about body language and, and what we start with, like the word that we start with. So with a lot of the people that I work with, they tend to start maybe a question with, oh, sorry, could I interrupt? Or sorry, could I ask a question? And this is really interesting to me because it's a lot of, in a lot of the English teaching books, when we're teaching people about diplomacy and being more polite, we teach them this, say, sorry, could I interrupt? Or sorry, could I make a statement? So what are your thoughts on, say somebody wants to interrupt and ask something, what, how, do they, how do they interrupt in a way that sort of shows their authority, shows that they're you know, there in the meeting, but not sort of too timid and taking that authority away from them? Mm, yeah, sorry, it's a really tricky one. It's called a hedge, a linguistic hedge. And it's mm. like saying, don't, you don't really need to pay attention to me. Uh, you know, you hear people say things like, you know, I'm not the expert here, but could I just, you know, I, I'm sure you understand how this works better than I do. And we're basically saying, look, I'm not the expert. Don't pay attention to me. But when we do that in a meeting, like you, exactly like you said, we take away the authority from ourselves if, if we do do that. Mm. So starting with a stronger word is much more effective. May I ask a question? Should I ask a question mm. now or at the end? Mm, so okay. you're rather than, sorry, can I, can I ask? Yeah. You can hear the sorry. vocal difference. It's like, uh, okay. You know, we're yeah. basically asking permission to be there and in the meeting and be a human being and ask and learn which we don't really need to do, you know. We say sorry if we've hurt somebody or, we, you know, we've bumped into them or, you know, absolutely apologise at that point, but we don't have to apologise for speaking. So I would always encourage people just to start with, uh, like your example was a really good one. Can, can you tell me more about X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. Much stronger way of engaging with the material and with the other people in the room. And they're going to look at you then and think, oh, they've, they've got it together. They're in control of what's going on. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, great. That's a great example. And it's something that I've thought a lot about in the in the recent years, just thinking about what we were talking about. And it's really made me change the way that I talk to people about how do you be polite and diplomatic. You know, what I think it's also about understanding what is what does it mean to be polite to you? Because as I was saying in the beginning, in China or Japan, it's polite not to interrupt and to not argue with somebody you've got to do it behind closed doors rather than within a group. So it's about sort of understanding what does that look like? What does being polite look like? And yeah, again, going down to in British culture where it tends to be, I, I guess you tend to say, oh, sorry, can I ask a question or to begin the, the question? But yeah, it's really interesting sort of having these conversations with my clients of what does being polite look like to you? What does it, what does a good meeting look like to you? Um, so, yeah, then finally sort of thinking about going back to what you're saying about summarising, I think the other thing that I think is important is to if you go into a meeting and or if you're going into a lecture as um, what was his name? Chirpy. Chirpy. Chirpy yeah. was saying is that when you when you come out of that lecture thinking about what what did I want to say and what could I say next time or what could I do better next time, for example. I think that's really something that I think is important and that I try to talk about with a lot of my clients is to make, make sure that, okay, you might feel disappointed that you didn't do what you wanted to in this particular meeting or in this particular lecture, 
but how, how are we going to overcome that for the next time? What's something different mm. that you could do for the next time? Yeah, yeah, that's really important. Like focusing on, look, I spoke up, right? That's a win. I didn't do that mm. last week. I spoke up this week. That's a win. I'm, I'm doing better than I was. What's the one thing I want to do differently next time? So rather than going, oh, it was a disaster. I said the wrong things. I used the wrong grammar, I, whatever it might be. It's like I spoke up. Tick. Great. Next time. I'm going to think about making my question more concise. Next time, I'm not going to use sorry. I'm going to say, can I, may I, whatever. Mm -hmm. But be really specific about what you're going to do differently next time, but just one thing. Otherwise, it's overwhelming and you feel For you know, sure. just like beating yourself up and you don't need to do that. Yeah. Mm. Well, since we had our last live, also I've tried not to say so at the beginning of all my sentences, and it seems to be working. So thank you. That's one thing that I took away from that. <laughs> Perfect. You see, one thing makes a huge difference. <laughs> exactly. And I'm always thinking about it. I'm recording the podcast. I'm thinking, don't say so. Don't say so. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think I say so all the time. <laughs> so. What do you think? <laughs> so. Let's talk. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I just I just find when you're saying that so it's like sorry may I ask something it's it's like well you're asking now it's like it's just like ultimate it. filler <laughs> um, what I've learned as well is that it's okay sometimes it's like us free now we're alive it's we're alive and there's three of us there's going to be occasionally little interruptions and I think that that's not being rude that's just how conversations happen and it's fine and the other thing I was going to say is that I remember, especially as when when you're uh, when I was kind of the more and more I was learning of talking on Teams and stuff. I remember sometimes. Do you remember like you have a burning thing to say and you're like, I'm gonna say, it, I'm gonna say, it, I'm gonna say it, and then you miss your window and then you're like, I wish I said it. Well, I kind of the opposite now of like sometimes I I have stuff that I want to say and the conversation moves on and I don't need to say it anymore. And I think that comes with maturity of like, oh well, you know what, I'm here. I believe in myself, you know, I can pop up if it's when it's relevant, but don't beat yourself up if something doesn't pop up and then you're at home, you know, like we're all laugh, like in, you're in the shower and you're like, I should have told him right there. Da, da, da. Well, don't need to do that. Uh, it, yeah, we've all been there. I've had the opposite one where like years later, I'll have a shower and I'll where I'll be like, oh gosh, why, why did I say that? But it comes with time. And like time is the greatest healer. You know, I get less of them shower moments of like, why did I not say that on the marketing booth? So it it kind of it, it kind of goes away. I just think though that you don't need to say something in every meeting, and sometimes there's a power in just relaxing in it and being present. And I think over time, sometimes I go to meetings where I don't have to say anything, but if I'm summoned or I'm called into it, then bam, you know. And I think that over time you get that balance. And then other times, sometimes, especially in group presentations, if sometimes maybe the conversations flag in, then you can kind of go in and help out. And, and I think you get that balance. But like this, it's live. And I think one of the, the bits that I really enjoy on, on this show is that kind of um, you, you get the questions coming in. We're all we're all working it out as we go, but we draw upon our own experience. And I think that's the key thing that I would say for anyone listening here is that over time when you experience that's the value that you give and you can ask questions you know that you, you can learn and you build upon your experience so especially for anyone who's maybe a younger graduate or as, as brian said you've got students at the moment 
then you, you, this is a skill that you pick up. But that's probably one of the most valuable things I think from architecture school is actually presentations that, I mean, we all hate the idea of what's called a crit, Emma, uh, which is an architectural critique, but it really is a crit because you feel like, oh, I'm going to be massacred. Yes, yeah, the worst <laughs> feeling. Uh, nothing in life is as hard as that. And I really... I really believe that architects um, often forget how valuable that is. And most architects I know are very good at presenting their work. And this is such a great skill to have. So build upon what you've got. I think that from my point of view, you don't need to worry about the fear, Emma, because you are the queen of my YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, final thoughts would be fantastic. Um, I suppose one thing that's just come into my head, actually, is that... Mm listening is also part of communication mm. so sometimes you don't need to speak sometimes if you're actively listening to what's going on and you're actively watching the interaction you're going to pick up useful things that you can then yeah. have a one-to-one -one conversation with somebody outside of that meeting room and say you know what well, i was hearing this and i think there might be a problem with x or y or z that is an invaluable skill so if there's days where you're like you know what i just don't have it in me today to speak up don't yeah. worry listen listen really effectively to the whole meeting and watch the people who are really good what are they doing specifically that makes them really good and steal something that they're doing that you like mm. love it i was thinking yeah. about that listening too because you know we even when we come into this live we're thinking okay these are the sorts of things we can talk about but there's no way i mean steven's like you know throwing questions at us we don't we're not expecting what he's going to say so you just have to come into it with an open mind i guess and so listening is such an important skill isn't it yeah and there's no judgment here and that's the most important thing i tend to find that especially in the workplace everyone feels like oh my gosh like someone your boss is taking like a note on how well you ask questions <laughs> but really it's all about the overall and i think it's about the team and being involved and I, yeah. and I, you know, at Ackroyd Lowry, where I work now, it's all about team effort. It's about, and asking questions is a critical part of it. And no one's judging how you deliver those questions. You know, it's, it's, it's all part of that package. So, okay. On that note, guys. So let me try to find, I'm going to get like a nice, so we had the fear, we had the fear earlier, but we passed that. So let's try and get something uplifting. So on that note, we have conquered. We have delivered. So it feels, feels like Lord of the Rings. This is the point of the ring in the mountain. Guys, out there, practice. Go to the Toastmasters. See Tara. You'll live a lot. Tara, where can we find you online? Where? You, can you can find me on LinkedIn, where I'm most active, or on archieenglish.com. Amazing. Emma, where can we find you online if someone wants to get advice? Definitely find me on LinkedIn. Okay, amazing. Emma from Speaking at Work, Tara and Marky English, and Brian for the amazing conversation and lots of tips here in the, in the audience. Brian's awesome. Social. I really appreciate you all being here. So I will be on the other social social. And there's less people on there right now. I am around. I'm trying to enjoy summer as well. But if you need anything else, you can drop us a message. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> On that note, I really appreciate this podcast. I'm going to end the live stream soon. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Keep practicing. Don't let that fear get in the way. And keep doing it every day. Bye, Emma, and bye, Tara. Stay on the line. Bye. Close the stream. Stay on the line.